Morning, or is it working? It is working, that's the first time that's ever happened. That's exciting, isn't it? I must be getting better at it. So my name's Anna, as Rob said. I'm married to Simon, uh, he's the pastor of the church here, and I'm on the leadership team here. I'm also a mum of four and a nurse. It's all the little different hats that I wear. Sometimes they pile up on top and one falls off, but um, it's a real joy to be here today. Um, before we start, I really wanted to ask us to pray. Firstly, just thank you so much to everyone who came to the uh, indoor market that we did yesterday. We raised uh, £930, so we are so excited about that. Um, we also wanted to ask um, if you would join us in praying this morning. We uh, had a trustees meeting for Life Bridging Works which is a charity that sort of runs alongside the church. And we were speaking to our friends in Uganda, and um, there's a lockdown happening in Uganda at the moment. And when we spoke to um, our friend, who's one of the trustees, he's Ugandan, and he was saying um, it's really there, it's very much like it, we were seeing on the TV in India. They are really, really suffering. There's people queuing up outside hospitals, um, people dying as they're waiting to go into hospital. There's no oxygen. There's no treatment in the area that we work in. It's a, like at least a day cycle ride to get to any healthcare. So um, we just really want to ask if you would join us in praying this morning. We really need God to be working miracles. Um, and they see miracles happen all the time because they don't have the healthcare to rely on, so you tend to pray a bit more. So should we pray together quickly before I start preaching? Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you are a God of love. We thank you that in your word you say that you don't delight in seeing anyone suffer. And Lord, we pray for our friends in Uganda and actually we pray for all of East Africa who are suffering so much with coronavirus. And Lord Jesus, we pray, would you bring your healing hand? Lord God, would you heal people? We pray for church leaders to have boldness and courage. We pray, Lord Jesus, for the church to step in where the healthcare isn't there and to bring your hope and your joy. Lord Jesus, we pray that many people would come to faith, to knowing and loving you, to having an eternity secured with you, Lord Jesus. And we just ask, Lord, give us big hearts to be able to just weep with our friends as they mourn, to help them as they suffer, to be um, people who stand alongside the universal church, showing kindness and grace. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for praying, and we just ask you to keep um, them in your prayers. So if you haven't been at um, our church before, we're currently doing a series on 1 and 2 Corinthians, and we're calling it A Year in Sin City. And that's because um, 1 and 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a city notorious for the citizens' wild behaviour. They had um, real, a load of Greek philosophy going on, um, mor really morally corrupt behaviour, and they had worship of many gods. So really, if you want to think about in your head what it was like, it's sort of a mixture of Las Vegas, the dodgy side of Amsterdam, and downtown New York, that is Corinth. So that will help you pitch where they are. And the church there um, were having uh, many, many questions. They had many questions, and Paul was answering the questions. Last week, Sai preached on the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, where he focused on the resurrected Christ. And this week, we are going to be focusing on the resurrection of those who are in Christ. So should we read together? It should come up behind me as well. 
I just want to apologize. My technology skills are dreadful. If there's anything wrong in the PowerPoint, it was me. I just couldn't get the computer to work. Why can't we just write things down? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, we'll start at. It says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? I think that's quite a sensible question, but Paul didn't. He said, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Comfort to all parents with small children. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, now, this saying is from Isaiah 25. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. And he said this, he prophesied this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. It's a great passage, isn't it? There's so many things I could draw out of it, but we're going to focus in on three questions that come out of this passage. So I thought we'd start with the obvious questions, which are in verse 35, where it says, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Clearly, the Corinthian church was getting a little bit confused about how our mortal, buried, rotting bodies would be raised again and how that would happen. 
But Paul shows them in the next few verses, verses 36 to 45, that far from the resurrection being contrary to nature, there's actually clear examples all around us in nature and creation itself that show us that without death and resurrection, there is no new life. So I thought we would play a fun little game to show that it's true. Who would like to play a fun game? Yes. I have to choose the right people because they're going to get a bit wet. So, um, Ben, I can't think of anyone I'd like to squirt more. And, oh, wait, oh, it's Dan in the box. It's Dan in the box. Where's Dan? He's not, oh, he's disappeared. Oh, here he is. I think it should be Dan, not Katie, because she's my friend. Uh, (laughs) Right, Dan, Dan and Ben, if you grab one pen and one little pile of paper, the next one, um, we will have, yes, Ivy. Ivy and Christopher, he would like to come and play this game very much. He is teaching one of my kids drums and one of my kids electric guitar, so there's not much hope for him. Um, And we need one more, one more. Yes, I think a Simmons would be marvellous. And Sarah seems to be the adult that's there, so that's good. She is also my friend, but she has to forgive me because she's another elder's wife, so we have to be really kind to each other. Everyone needs to distance, because we have to socially distance. You need a pile of paper. You have to stay down there, Ben, I'm afraid. Uh, You need all three pieces, Chris. Yeah, that's it. Three. Yeah, Chris, if you come this side of the stage, on the floor there, because I don't want to get anything wet on the stage. And then, Sarah, if you come here with Anna. And then, Ben, if you stay that side. Right, Ivy, you're down there. Okay, so the game is this. Just going to check that this works. Does it work? Yeah, right. So the game is this that there is going to be a seed come up on the screen. You have to write on your piece of paper what plant does it make? Okay, are we ready? Number one, what plant does this seed make? You can't look behind you. You have to just look this way, by the way, because that would be cheating. Okay, hold. Have you all written? Oh, it's leaking. Have you all written? Great. You may turn around and hold it up. Okay. Let's show which plant does this seed make. Very good. But of course, for the seed to grow, we do need to water it a little bit. So that's good. Just a bit of water. Lovely. Uh, So next seed. Are we ready? You guys have to face this way because I've just realized if you face that way, you can see the answer. So don't look. But the next seed is this seed. What does this seed make? when it's in the ground and it gets watered. What seed does it make? What plant are we looking at? Okay, are we ready? Well done, Anna. Lovely writing, even with a broken hand. Very good. Are we ready? Uh, I I picked them on people, actually, because they will know. Um, If you turn around, the plant will come up. It makes an oak tree. Oh, Ben, no. Acorn tree. No, no. Very good. Right, are we ready? The next seed, the final seed. Are we ready? What does this seed, you guys have to look this way, what does this seed make? What does this seed make? There is a little clue in the picture. I would never have got it, but I'm not the one getting wet, so I don't really care. And yeah, just a bit more water. Lovely. Okay. Right, ready? Stand up, Ben. Turn your page round. 
Yes, you are all wrong. Um, it actually makes a... Uh, if we have the picture on now, this is actually a daisy! Oh! Shall we say thank you? Now, who won? Who won? You, you guys got two, didn't you? So, I, I mean, we spared no expense on doing this because we um, got it from the sale yesterday. But um, you get a cup and you get a present for Daddy, and you can pick a more girly present out of the back room back there. You look excited, Anna. Well done. There we go. You went, and I wasn't supposed to be a tie. So why did we play this game? Other, sorry, can I squirt you? Last time, then. Last time. Strange child. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, why did we play this game? Well, one, because it's the only way I could actually get back at Christopher for getting uh, my children learning drums and things like that. But also to show what Paul is saying. Paul is actually saying, using the analogy of seeds, which are planted in the ground, and then they die and a plant grows. And from all those pictures, you can see that the plant is actually much more glorious than the seeds. And that is what it's going to be like with our resurrection bodies, as we're told in verse 42 to 44. Our earthly bodies, which suit this earth, but are weak, perishable, dishonorable, and they break, are raised a spiritual or heavenly body that suits where it will be eternally living. But verse 44 makes it really clear, along with other scriptures like Romans 8 and Philippians 3, that we will have an actual body. You won't just be like a floaty spirit. Paul gives examples in verses 39 to 41 of how our creator God created many varied bodies to suit the environment that we're in, like plants, trees, birds, the sun and the moon, they all suit the environment that they're in. Our physical bodies now, which are suited to our earthly existence, despite them being weak and their failings and our mortality, would be useless in God's eternal kingdom, heaven, when he returns and makes a new heavens and earth. So these earthly bodies need to die out, and out of that raw material, God produces a spiritual body perfectly suited to the kingdom of God. Morris... He's a theologian that wrote this book. It doesn't look very exciting, but it's actually quite good. He wrote this. He says, The spiritual body is the organ that is intimately related to the spirit of man, just as the present body is intimately related to this earthly body. So our spiritual body will not be a body composed of just a floaty spirit, but rather a body which expresses spirit. So just like those beautiful plants far exceed and surpass the seed, our resurrection bodies will far surpass our earthly bodies. The perishable for the imperishable, dishonor for glory, weakness for power, and a natural body for a spiritual body. Of course, all of this leads us to our next question, doesn't it, really? Of how is it possible that these bodies will die and become bodies that last forever? Well, the simple answer is actually the Sunday school answer to every question, which is it's because of Jesus. Jesus, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, is how that can happen. Paul talks in verses 45 to 46 about two different types of Adam. 
It's not two men. He's talking about lines of people. So the first Adam was created out of the dust, the first created man. We can read about how he was created. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living, a living creature. Man was created from the earth, from the dust. The first of the race of natural earthly people, unique in creation, that God himself blew life and breath into the body of Adam. Paul then talks about Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus became flesh and blood, eventually being put to death and buried, but then coming back to life with a resurrection body, revealing his true identity, that he is the man from heaven, as we're told in verse 47 of the passage we're reading. Paul's referring here to the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus, fully God and fully man. When he talks about Jesus becoming a life-giving spirit, he's talking about Jesus' life-giving work, saving us, giving us eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the progenitor of the race of spiritual people. Shall we read in Romans 8, verse 29? That helps just confirm this point. It says... For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 49 then goes on to tell us that we will bear the image of the resurrected Jesus just like we bear the image of Adam now with our earthly bodies. The risen Lord Jesus had a body. He appeared to over 500 people. And you can read that in the Gospels. You can read how Jesus appeared to the disciples. He ate, he drank, he laughed with them, he touched people, he had emotions, he walked and he talked, and he enjoyed friendship. He wasn't a floaty spirit. The risen Lord Jesus was actually identifiable to his disciples. They knew who he was. Although, interestingly, it would appear from some of the testimonies in the Gospels that there were differences because sometimes it took his disciples or people who knew him a little while to recognize him straight away. Later, we'll read from Revelation. And in Revelation, we are told that people from every tribe every tongue and every nation that John saw them all worshipping before the throne of God. So clearly, whilst our resurrection bodies will be different than how we are now, they will still express the individualism of each person. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? You wonder what it's going to be. That's quite exciting. Jesus gives us life because he alone is the man from heaven who can break the power of death and sin. Sin is just the biblical term used to explain missing the mark of what God requires. In fact, for most people, the main sin actually is that we don't submit our life to Jesus. We just say, I am the God of my life. I will do what I think is right. My morality is the right morality, and I will not submit to what God says. In Romans 6, 23, we're told clearly that the cost or the price of sin is death. 
death the eternal separation from a holy God who rightly judges that our wrongdoing deserves punishment and needs atoning for. When Paul talks about death in this passage that we're reading today, he's not talking about the process of death, you know, the transition from time to eternity. Because later on in verse 51, and in Paul's other writings, like in 1 Thessalonians, he actually refers to that process as falling asleep or people being asleep. Paul is referring to death as the eternal separation from God and every good thing. The sting caused by the wrongdoing which separates us from the eternal holy God. In verse 56, Paul writes this quite complex sentence where he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Well, in this verse, he's explaining how the law, which was given to Moses, you can read it in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, how it was given to Moses. And it's from God, we're told in Romans 7, how it has become sin's stronghold because it holds before us the standard of holiness and perfection, which we ought to reach, but we never do. And I think it's fair to say that every person knows that we don't even hold up to our own flawed standards, let alone to God's standards. But Paul isn't removing hope. In verse 47, he encourages and exhorts us, but thanks be to God who has given us victory over death through Jesus. Jesus, the God-man, who completely fulfilled the standard of the law, we're told in Genesis 3, verse 13, in Galatians 3, verse 13. Jesus himself, he took the cost of our wrongdoing, the sting of death he took on himself. He became sin for us. He died in our place and he rose again victorious over death so that we who are in Christ have a life of victory through Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. If you're um, not Christian, you're here today, and you think, why do um, Christians so love Easter? That is why Easter is such an important time for us as Christians, is because the death and the resurrection of Jesus has given us victory over death. Today, we've got the really exciting joy of seeing people being baptised. It was lovely, wasn't it, in that video, just to see how Jesus saves people from all different backgrounds. In Romans 6, we read that we're baptised into Jesus' death and burial going under the water and his resurrection coming back up again. Baptism is a public sign of what has happened in that person's life. It's an act of obedience to Jesus. Jesus um, told, go and make disciples of all the the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Believe and be baptized. It's an act of obedience. It's not the actual act of baptism that saves them, but it's the fact that they have died with Christ, which means they have made the decision to die to themselves, no longer live to what they want, no longer live as them being the God of their life. They decide what's right and wrong, but choosing to make Jesus the king of their life, choosing to become a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit and to live in obedience to Jesus and to do what he wants rather than what they want Baptism also shows us what happened to Jesus when he was died, buried, rose again. And it's an image for us believers of what will happen to us 
when we die, that we too are going to be resurrected and then we're going to rise again, have a new resurrection body and an eternity with Christ. It's a wonderful truth. That's why baptisms are so wonderful and why we all are so excited because it's a reminder of what is going to happen for us. Verse 51 then goes on to give us assurance that whether we die before Christ returns or we're still alive when he returns, which I'm really hoping I am because it would be amazing, we will all be changed in the blinking of an eye in the smallest of a moment. Everybody in Christ will receive their resurrection body and we will be changed, not just our outward appearance, but the inner reality of who and what we are. So the last remaining question really is what does this mean for our lives now? Well, Paul gives us the answer, doesn't he? He says this in verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Paul is telling us to be a thankful people. He has given us the victory. Don't be glum and miserable about the state of the world. Be victorious and joyful. Jesus has paid the price. If you are in Christ, then you are victorious over the power of sin and death. And the wonderful truth for us believers, which is very important for us to actually hold properly to in this time, is that we no longer need to fear death. We do not live in fear of dying because Jesus has won the victory for us. Um, Shall we read 1 Peter? Um, Because uh, Peter just puts it so wonderfully, what's happened towards the back of the Bible. It It says in this passage, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have seen him, you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, as believers, we live a life of rejoicing even when we're suffering and we're in trials. And I think it's fair to say coronavirus has been and continues to be a trial, doesn't it? But as believers, we rejoice and we celebrate because we know that the hope that we have is a sure hope. Secondly, Paul tells us we are to be steadfast and immovable. We're to hold fast to the truth of the good news of Jesus. We don't sway around with what our culture and society tells us is right and wrong. We don't get distracted. We don't settle for comfort over service. That is so relevant to the Western church, isn't it? We do not settle for comfort over service and obedience to the risen Lord Jesus. 
And thirdly, what we do with our present body really matters. Paul tells us in these verses to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, we need to use up our earthly bodies for the kingdom. The Greek word used here for labor, because I am fluent in Greek, I'm not, I'm not, but I just thought it'd be fun if I pretended I was. Someone will come and speak to me in Greek now, I'd be like, oh, um, is uh, kopos, which actually means to work to the point of weariness. That's what it means, to work to the point of weariness. I think it's fair to say quite a few of us are a bit weary, aren't we? I definitely feel 15 years older than I did a year ago. Um, Paul's attitude here is to acknowledge that the Lord's work, it is hard work. Don't be fooling yourself that if you're following Jesus, life's going to get easy. I can pretty much guarantee for you it will not. Following Jesus is hard work, but it's not in vain. We live with the fervent hope and joy of the resurrection. We use this life to work for our eternal hope. We know without a shadow of a doubt that this body, our earthly bodies, they will die, they will fail, and they will break. That is a sure thing. But we know that actually when we die, we will be with Jesus. And he will ask you this question, What did you do with your life? And I have to say, if I'm brutally honest about the Western church, that is a pretty scary question, isn't it? What did you do with your life? And it's a question I'd like you to go home and really think about. What did you do with your life? In reality, our earthly life here should be preparing for our eternal life with Jesus. Don't get distracted by trying to make yourself look younger. It's not going to work. Everybody looks old in the end. Give yourself to being tired and worn out for the work of Jesus. It is worth it because in the end, he's going to give us a body that will never be tired. Personally, I'm hoping we can fly, but I don't know. Um, We are going to give our life to building the kingdom of God. Shall we read Revelation 7 together? Because if you're in Christ, this is what we are going to do for all of eternity. And it's a wonderful passage. It says this. um, Therefore, they, which is everybody in the whole world from now and from creation until now who is in Christ, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd. That's talking about Jesus. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear that you shed serving the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus is going to personally wipe it away. Isn't that amazing to think of? So can I ask the band to come up? And um, we're going to pray together. You know, if you don't know Jesus today, but as I've been talking, you are aware that you know you don't meet your own standard of being good enough for want of a phrase, if you know that. And as I'm talking, thinking, I need that Jesus. I need Jesus 
to help me, to save me, to rescue me. I cannot attain to what Jesus wants for my life. Then Jesus is very clear. He says this, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. And that actually is how simple it is to choose to follow Jesus. So if you know that that's you, can I pray with you? And this will be the first step on your journey to following Jesus. If you just want to say in your hearts the prayer I'm just about to say, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry that I have lived a life ignoring you. I'm so sorry that I've done things that I know are wrong. Even by my own standards, I know they are wrong. I'm sorry that the wrong things that I have done have meant that you went to the cross and took that punishment for those wrong things for me. Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I choose to make today the first day that I live my life in obedience to you. I pray from now you would guide my life you would give me hope. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the joy of following you. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, then it'd be really good to talk to the person who brought you, or you can grab me, you can grab Simon, you can grab Chris, who was getting wet there, and they, he would love to pray with you. Can I pray for everyone else? If you're able to, do you want to stand? If you're at home, maybe stand up. It's good to um, like awake your soul a little bit. Stop falling asleep on the sofa, listening to my voice. You can stand up. Shall we pray together? I don't know about you, but I just want to be able to say when Jesus asked me, what did you do with your life? I want to be able to say, I used it up for the kingdom. I'm really tired. I want to fall into heaven exhausted. <laughs> just make it exhausted and tired. That's what we want to do. We want to serve the kingdom of God. So can I pray for you and for me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have died in our place. We thank you that by your death, you have freed us from the power of sin. We thank you that because of you, we are going to be with you forever and ever with a heavenly body that will never fail us. It will never break. It's never going to do things that we don't understand, but it's going to be amazing. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much. I pray for every person here. Holy Spirit, would you be just working on our hearts to make us a group of people who serve your kingdom, whatever the cost, who are unafraid of death, who know that you are the king and we will serve you with our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen.